Welcome to the Transformation Leaders Podcast. I'm Tony Lockwood and I'm delighted you have joined me on this latest episode. This podcast combines discussions with transformation leaders who openly talk about their experiences, both positive and developmental, along with recordings of the roundtable discussions that we host as part of the Transformation Leaders Hub, where we share and discuss best practices and world-class basics that you can quickly and easily deploy that will help you to deliver successful change and transformation. Please do subscribe to the show. You'll be the first to know about new episodes and it really helps me to attract more guests onto the show for them to share their experiences with you. Scott Lockhart joins me on the virtual sofa today and I'm sure you'll enjoy our conversation where we explore, amongst other things, the concept of servant leadership and how this approach improves performance and ultimately delivery of change. Let me introduce Scott to you now. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the Transformation Leaders podcast. Uh, I'm delighted that you can join me today. Um, on each of these uh, podcasts, on pre- or all the previous episodes, we, we tend to start with an introduction to you. So if you could just give us a quick potted history on your career to date, and, and answer the question, how you first got into the world of change and transformation. Sure. Uh, so I've kind of ended up being a leader my entire life. It's just something I've done. Uh, I've always ended up in roles where, even if I didn't realize it at the time, I looked back and I was like, I was just kind of leading people and stepping into roles where where it was needed and that's really kind of the story of of what i've done so i i've got a bit of an accent i'm from australia originally i left home uh when i was 18 to move to the united states did university in the united states moved back to australia and started a hardware store in downtown sydney with my dad and worked with him on that for many years met my American wife in Sydney and then moved back to the States about 21 years ago now. So I've been here 21 years. And in that time, really, the career history has been uh, a wild one. I ended up uh, in a very small town in Missouri, three, three hours from any major city, and ended up finding a job as the computer guy uh, at, at the only company that was a national company in this small town. Uh, within three weeks, I was COO of the company. Um, and, you know, this was a nationwide appraisal company. So I worked in the real estate space, uh, worked there for just about a year until I managed to get out of there and move to Norfolk, Virginia with my wife. There I sold swimming pools because you got to pay the rent somehow. Uh, and managed to find my way into a job leading um, a division of what now is called Dominion Enterprises. Back then it was called Trader Publishing. Uh, and it was a nationwide um, photography and virtual tour company. Did that for a while. Our biggest company, biggest customer was Remax Greater Atlanta. Through the grapevine, I heard that they were looking for a CTO. Remax Greater Atlanta was one of the top 10 brokerages in the nation at that time. And huge, really huge. Uh, a lot of transactions, a lot of sales. Um, so at that time, I got recruited to go down to Atlanta. And this is really where where my 
adventure set in real estate, uh, which is the industry that I've done most of my work in. Um, not as an agent, but on kind of the on the on the technology side of things. Yeah. Uh, so came down to Atlanta. Was it Remax? Then ended up being a fractional CTO for a number of the largest brokerages, working with one of the largest lenders in the country. Um, then had some adventures in uh, financial technology and consulting. So working for a company called North Highland, um, running the program uh, where Wachovia and Wells Fargo Advisors were uh, integrated and worked on that for a number of years. And then finally came back to real estate um, where I now ran uh, Showcase IDX up until recently for 11 years with actually two successful exit events or, or uh, acquisition events with that. Um, so yeah, it, it's been, it's been a wild ride through different uh, forms of leadership and ultimately culminating in the last, I would say five or six years where it's been kind of a hockey stick um, curve of development for myself when it comes to how to, build teams, build productive teams and, and products that actually people want to pay for time and again. Oh, great. Thank you for that, uh, Scott. And I noticed um, the theme that was coming through this and you started off right, you know, you started off with, with the term leadership. It's been the common theme all the way through from that very early uh, role with, 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 with your dad and when you went over to the States. Um, and I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you talk about the propon a proponent of servant leadership. Just want to explain a little bit about what you mean by servant leadership. This is a few takes on it. Um, my take is very much understanding that a leader's job is to not tell people what to do, but to help them do it. Um, I think that the term that I use the most that seems to resonate the best with the teams that I work with and build is that my success is totally predicated on their success. So their success is my success. Mm -hmm. I by myself cannot be successful. I am just, it's, I, I'm just me. It's like having a head coach of a basketball team uh, be expected to win all the games if he doesn't have a team that's functioning right. Right. It's, it's, it's that kind of mindset. So how can I help other people, be more successful how can i help them develop their skills that is additive to the mission that we're on that gets everyone on board and and kind of carries us forward across the line i like the the, the sort of sporting analogy i use them a lot just taking that a little bit deeper though um, so how do you go about doing that how do you go about getting that team in a place where they really believe you and, and don't just see it as nice words? Sure. I mean, it's built over time. It doesn't, it's not one thing that happens at one point in time. It's not one single action. And that's where it's tough because there's a lot of points which the rubber hits the road and you have to deliver on the core values and the cultural tenets that you profess to embody, right? So one of my things was... Uh, we grew the team uh, in 2020. My my company, Showcase IDX, was acquired by EXP World Holdings, which also owns EXP Realty, which is the fastest growing um, 
uh, real estate brokerage in the world. Also in the United States, it is uh, the largest by trans number of transactions as of last year, 2022. Um, we grew the team from five people to 45 in about 18 months or so. And I was always the last interview. Doesn't matter what role it was. And really my was a sniff test on cultural fit. And also to really go through what our culture was. And one of the things I did right there before they even started was, here's what we do. I want no surprises. So you tell me if you come in here and we don't do this, oh, you need to let me know. And if, especially if it's me doing it, you really need to let me know. We didn't have any problems with that because basically it was a challenge at the time. And we had some people who had really bound jobs, very, very talented people, really driven people that could never find the right spot. There was this one person we had, um, I think the longest they'd ever been in a place was two years, which was okay these days, especially people bounce around. We know that. Um, but they said uh, after after they were hired, well, usually six months in, I'm already looking for my next job. I can tell you I am so flawed that I came in here and everything you said sounded better than it could have. Like it, it sounded unreal, but you actually delivered on it. And that's how you build the trust. There's no like... AI app or anything like that that you can do and apply to it. It's basically number one, being a genuine person and having that come across yeah. and having that be um, something that you lean into and not actually shy away from um, and seeing that as a strength, not a weakness, um, being kind and having some empathy there, especially even right up front in that first thing. And then following up with everyone like the week after they start, just, like at the end of the week, like, hey, how's it going? Everything cool? Like, and then really what it comes down to, which embodies that too, but it's communication. And communication is the foundation for everything. It's why the larger the teams or businesses grow, the more dysfunctional they get, because communication breaks down. So it's understanding how you communicate, especially in a remote environment where you can facilitate conversations. Like, I don't have to be in every bloody conversation. I don't want to be in every conversation. Like, that's, like, that is not my job. I want to make sure that people are communicating, you know, on the regular, have a framework for that communication, understand and learn, mm -hmm. if necessary, how to communicate with, with their peers, and then make sure that, like, we have a cultural underpinning that allows them to understand what the expectations of their role are, what especially certainly the, the the responsibilities and the accountabilities but the expectation of communication is something that we added into kind of our job descriptions that really really help because we expect if you see a problem bloody well tell us about it like you know you know if you have an idea tell us about it and we'll give you avenues to share that in a really constructive way so at the end of the day it comes down to communication and good communication consistently applied builds trust it builds authority but the right type of authority and i think that's where people think oh well i'm a leader i'm a manager which i'm not a massive fan of that term but um you do develop authority but really the authority is a reflection of the trust should be um 
a, a reflection of the trust that you engender and that you develop, not the fear. Because yeah. no, it's okay. easy. Fear, fear-based, fear-based leadership is the easiest. Like it's the like, it, like bad leaders use fear to to motivate. It can be effective. Don't get me wrong. Like you can like you can like and and I'm not going to say that I haven't judiciously or tried to judiciously use a little bit of uh, um, negative reinforcement occasionally when used well to an extent that doesn't make someone fear for their family's livelihood. It can be good. It's like you can just sometimes people different people need a little bit of a different kind of nudge in in a different way, but ultimately. The only way, way that actually works is coming back around to trust. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think you, you're absolutely right, and totally agree with you. I think that 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 ability to build trust within teams, whether it's a team that you're working with, whether it's a team that's in your community, whether it's your family team, it, it, it's critical, and it takes time to build, and it's very quick to break. Um, but setting those expectations right up front about not what, what we expect from you as a team member, but what you should expect from me and us as your team uh, colleagues is, is really interesting because, as you say, it, it then opens up those discussions, doesn't it? It opens up the avenue for them to um, highlight deficiencies or things that are not necessarily meeting their expectations. Um, and and as long as you you um, go through with that and make it make it reality and not just bat them down as soon as they raise an issue or a challenge or raise a raise a point, um, that that will very very quickly build that that trust as as, as you've evidenced, which is really fascinating. And I think when when if you take that into the context of a change and transformation program. One of the big issues that that I found in my career is that as someone who's leading the change or leading the transformation, there is a natural well a natural distrust within the wider business because the, the the first thought is what's going to be impacts upon me, and that ability to be open and communicate openly is 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 something that. And I, I, I've certainly seen is is a real differentiator with, with between programs that are successful and programs that are not. Which comes yeah. back. Yeah. Brings I, me I back to, that, sorry, go on. I'll, I'll just say I just hop on to that point just just very quickly. Is you mentioned change and transformation, but I think where the trust, all that is great, but actually having people understand where what that change and transformation is. Mm-hmm. what the vision is, what the strategic objectives are, how you're going to get there. Doesn't have to be, the how you get there doesn't have to be answered just by the the quote-unquote leader. No. That's why you have a team of, of people who can contribute. But I do think that where a lot of these teams, a lot of leaders really, really, especially some of the leaders that I've dealt with in my career, where they have had a shortcoming is they think if they say something once, yeah. it's enough. And they're like, well, I told you once. That should be enough, right? And like, yeah, that's really cool if you are a leader that doesn't want to get anything done. But people don't listen, <laughs> like for the most part. And I mean that in the nicest possible way, but they really don't. It takes a bit of time to get things into people's heads. So um, 
to the extent that they are like it's not just me talking about these cultural tenets it's the entire team it could be someone who could be perceived as the lowest rung on the ladder is actually the person who's the foundation of a lot of how we act and you know you know and seeing that person use these cultural tenets to rise as well is is really really cool so anyway i just wanted to add that because i, I do think that is one of the things that is missed is i agree and typically i had to say something until i was sick of it like if i'm starting to feel like i am being a broken record and just repeating myself over and over again i probably just started to get the message through so yeah. i need to probably continue to go through absolutely slightly agree and that and that and having that consistency of message is critical oh yeah um because mm -hmm. people will will i totally agree it takes takes a lot of time for people to get that understanding or that acceptance so you need to communicate regularly and um and have a consistent message but what they will pick up very very quickly i find is inconsistencies in that message um so um and, and that can that can very quickly derail a program uh, but it, it, it one of the things that you were just saying there brings me back to that sporting analogy really because um the best sports at the the best uh, coaches in sporting teams always put out on the pitch a, a, a whole team of leaders um and it's you know it might be a leader in the in in in, in soccer or in football in the UK might be a leader from a defensive position or from a midfield position or from a forward position and it's the ability of those leaders to actually deliver that message on the pitch when 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 they've when they've left the changing rooms there's a there's a book where England won the 2003 World Cup in rugby and Sir Clive Woodward wrote a book called Winning, and he talks about this very, this very um, core element of, of, of his success was having these leaders with each part of his team. Um, and he would, he, he would call them his, and, and treat them as this leadership team. Um, so you can do that. Yeah. You can put it into, into a, a business context or a programme context. Uh, but fundamentally, what he was saying and what you're saying is exactly the same. It's not necessarily you. you. You have, as a leader, you have to give that consistent message. But actually, there are key people within the business on the pitch, shall we say, mm -hmm. that, that will, will, have a, will have the ears and eyes of a lot more people than you ever will. So having those on board in, in understanding and, and, and bringing those change agents through, I find is critical. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's just a mindset. Uh, organizational design mindset um, and it's one thing to be able to like draw up a, a cool looking org chart it's another thing to see how those pieces interact so uh, I, I completely agree I mean it, to use that sporting analogy which which does hold true um, the one that is very cringe for me is the family analogy terrible analogy for anything like <laughs> it just doesn't work and it's actually um, I'm not sure it's probably not too far off in the UK no, it's not far off in, in Australia, but certainly in the United States. Um, it would be it's disingenuous to call it a work family. Like it just to me, it always just is super cringy when I hear that because 
you know, it's like the company's going to do what's the best interest of the company at the end of the day. And if that means laying off some people, you just don't lay, lay off a whole pile of family unless they really deserve it, right? Like, you know, it takes a lot. It's just a different different kind of paradigm. Whereas the team and when you're in the lead, like the the captain's seat, so to speak, like um, like my role was always head coach. That's the way I, I had assistant coaches who are my execs and my VPs. Um, and then we had, like you said, then we had players and we had a couple of player coaches mm-hmm. who were good too. Um, but we wanted to encourage the coaches, sorry, the players to play. Like, just let people play, but give them these skills that show them how to play more effectively, develop their skills, practice. Also, a big part of my job was therapist, was psychology of work and working through, really working with individuals who are, some were struggling, some were doing really, really well. Um, but still had anxiety. I mean, I, I think in this modern day, especially leading, so I'm solidly, solidly Gen X. Uh, I am less in the sweet spot of Gen X, which yeah. no one talks about right now, which is great. But like in leading Gen Z, a lot of it is way more important as well, like being able to break things down so the generate you can work through these generational differences, which there are, yeah. um, and create a framework in which people can work in where they feel really secure and that you reduce anxiety and you because anxiety is a real thing these days and people get it over the darndest things. Like some offhanded, like kind of jokey little thing I'd say could be six weeks of someone freaking out low key that I don't even know about until I do. And then it's like, oh shit, oh that was terrible. <laughs> Oops, um, yeah. you know. But, but creating an atmosphere where people feel like they can talk about that kind of stuff really um, is important. And the psychological aspect of leadership and being able to talk with the team and having one on ones, not just with your direct reports, but really taking the time to listen across the team, no matter how big it is. Um, is super important. Totally agree. And, and it's interesting, a, a colleague of mine from way back, sort of 25, 30 years back, um, he always used to say, um, what was the phrase? Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. And and mm-hmm. that stayed with me so long because as a, as a leader of a team, whether that's a small operational team or whether it's an organisation as a whole, if they don't feel that you care about them, bringing it back to what yeah. you just said and, and what, what, what matters to them, they won't be interested in you and what you know. Um, so it, it, it's it's making, as you say, it's making that connection and being open to have those discussions, isn't it? It is. And I, I do think that no one's going to care as much as you do. If you're leading a team, yeah. if you're a founder or even if you're leading a team, no one should care about the whole as much as you do. Number one, you just have to kind of come to terms with that. Yeah. Like, but what what mo- where a lot of leaders that I've seen and coached actually struggle with is bringing people along. And there's one truism in human nature, which is kind of the law of reciprocity. Humans will give what you get. It's the old golden rule, right? 
like, you know, how, what people feel like you've given them, they'll give back to you. So if you give them peace of mind and if you uh, give time for them, you're more likely to have them closer mm-hmm. to your level of caring about things than you otherwise would. Yeah. Where where it's like, hey, welcome to your job. This is your job. And yeah, it's a job for most people. Most people, I mean, everyone has family and all kinds of stuff that goes on in their life. A job is should not be number one. Mm-hmm. For some people, it is. For leaders, probably people who are listening to this, this podcast, more folks like this are thinking, hey, this is kind of, it's kind of bumped like one and two, maybe a little bit fuzzy at times. But the job should not be. And I, and that's something that I've that I've certainly, especially over the last eleven years of running this this company as a small startup, and then you know being bought by a public large multi billion dollar company, um, really that's really hammered that home, yeah, in a really big way, meaningful way. And the lesson that I think is is one where whoever you're talking to, whether it's um, the newest member of staff, whether it's the the first member of staff that you've had in and they've been with you for 20 odd years, or the group chief exec of the acquiring business that you always look at things through their lens and, and look at and, and stand in their shoes to, to look at the discussion or the issue that you, you, you're looking or discussing. Because sometimes you, we can all get fixed in this is this is our world. These are our issues. This this is the way that I'm seeing things, and um, and you get fixed in that mindset, don't you? Just stepping back in, looking at things from a different perspective is so powerful, and 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 can unlock. Yeah. I find can unlock so much real value in those subsequent discussions, um, and can unlock a lot of a lot of issues and challenges that were you'll go face at some point in the future. Um, um, you know, gives you that ability to move forward a lot quicker. So I think that's, you touched on some things, uh, uh, two things. One is mistakes. Guess what? They're going to happen. They're going to, some are going to be bigger than others. Some are going to be really painful. Most are going to be kind of things. Uh, But creating a, it's obviously we don't want mistakes, but they're going to happen. We know they are. Uh, that's going to be from miscommunication most of the time. And there's a number of reasons why, but really demystifying or what we really tried to do was take the sting out of admitting that you made a mistake Mm. uh, so that people would actually admit it. Um, Then layering on top of that, a systematic way of doing retrospectives and actually building that into um our cadence of work so as we're doing projects hey we're 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 to a milestone let's make time to go back hey what have we done what didn't go well let's make sure that that's documented like in you know the code repositories all that kind of stuff if it was on the engineering side but what are the lessons learned what are we bringing that what are we bringing forward um you know that so just as important to obviously identify issues but also celebrate wins and all that kind of yeah. stuff too to me 
I was always much more interested in um, the the mistakes and learning from the mistakes and not having not repeating those mistakes than the wins. I actually get a lot more more of a sense of achievement and a like where I get kind of my juice from is actually you know fixing things. <laughs> um, you know the it, it there's a lot more uh, satisfaction that comes from that for me anyway. Um, I was at a, an event last week, and we we started one of the, one of the points that we were talking about was these um, project reviews, post project reviews, or part way reviews um, uh, as you as you as you're going through key milestones. <clears throat> and the general feedback there was probably twelve, fourteen different organisations um, <clears throat> represented in in, in this di- at this dinner. And probably the general feeling was that these type of reviews were done inconsistently. So definitely they've been planned, but events take over. So in some cases they don't get done. But when they are done, um, the general feeling was that very rarely do the lessons that have identified then get embedded into future future projects or future activities um, because events take over. It'd be interesting just to get your experience of how you've actually got that and then started to embed those lessons in future. What, what, what process did you go through? Sure. So... I mentioned kind of this framework um, and it's what I apply to a lot of different things, whether it's a marketing initiative or if it's a software project or building out a feature or or something like that. And it really does apply across the board. Um, There's there's a beginning, a middle and an end, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And the way we did this was really just build this into the expect ex- expectations and the process that we had for everything else. Right. It is not a luxury. It is a core part of how we develop as a team. And I'm really, really, one of the things I'm super proud of is taking that time, improving the team. There's going to be people who are they're worried about the next thing. They're worried about the next thing. If you are in a leadership position, you have a valve on that. You can turn up the heat. You can turn down the heat. You can make time for that. The key is consistency. Is like you just have to be like, why didn't you do that? Like, that's bad. Like, you have to make time for that. Because the majority of, I mean, this goes into so many other things about the, you know, having, you know, a valid meeting schedule and people not just being, you know, meeting all the time but not actually getting any work done you know i think it it falls back into a bit of that it's like you have to develop a cadence for work and a cadence for communication that is in this modern day far more ad hoc um it's trackable it's searchable so we use slack a lot so we use slack for 99.5 percent of all of our communications uh, internally email for outside but certainly um, for outside of our, within our, within our group, 
Slack for everything because you could search it, you could do all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we encourage people, hey, don't wait for a meeting days away from now. Just talk to someone. It's fine. It's yeah. like maybe they're not going to get right back to you because maybe they're busy, but you're going to get to far faster than if you actually wait <clears throat> till the next meeting when you're meant to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then it's about having, you know, and, and this is certainly a work in progress because it takes a lot of really getting people <clears throat> to not phone it in um, and to actually take the time to prepare, mm-hmm. but get people to ascribe to a, uh, a series of meetings and a collection of, uh, or an understanding of, this is how we meet as a team. This is how we meet as a whole team. This is how we meet as uh, smaller smaller groups, um, whether it's a daily stand-up for an engineering and product team working on a certain product, um, that those were really limited. We got those down to under 10 minutes. They were bam, 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 bam. Everyone knew what was going on. Let's get on with our day. Like we had uh, a all-hands meeting on Monday afternoons, Um where it was expected that people put in some time. It would probably take about an hour or two to actually prepare. And we had two formats for that. One was an analytical meeting. So we were going through KPIs, OKRs, all that kind of stuff um, for the different groups Mm -hmm. um, and the different initiatives that that we had going on. And then um, every other week, it was uh, more of just a narrative, hey, this is what we're up to kind of thing. Um, Apart from that, there was not that many meetings. Like we tried to keep people's calendars pretty wide open and it's amazing. Like I worked with a lot of software engineers. They can have four standing meetings a a week and still complain about, (laughs) um, about having too many meetings. And I'd be like, please. Um, But, but you have to make space. You have to understand the different roles in the company that you have. And if someone's like an engineer is in too many meetings, that they really don't need to be in. It could be literally a Slack message or an email. Like, and then, but but also collectively giving everyone the permission to kind of call that out when they see it. Because yeah. you, when, you know, if you're in a meeting that sucks, you know it. Like, it's like, why am I here? You're not actually in the meeting. You're probably over here on some other screen doing some other things and, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Like, why are we here? And so we really tried to really focus on agendas and making sure that there was clear expectations for meetings, clear outcomes. Um, it's cool to have a little bit of a chat in the beginning because especially being remote, we didn't want it to be all like, I mean, we certainly were anything but like robotic about it. Mm-hmm. But like when once you get into it, you're into it. Yeah. And then you can kind of, you know, kind of chat and kind of, hang out at the end if you finish early, which we usually did, unless we really got into it. But also giving people the permission to really get into it. There's, there's, and it's a real fine line. So it sounds kind of antithetical to what I just said, which is like agendas, agendas, agendas. But it's also knowing when to break your own rules. Mm-hmm. So like if you're into something, you've got people who's like, no, we're talking about this. Let's grab this person. Hey, are you available right now? Yeah, come into this conversation. Shit, if we can figure out something in two hours that otherwise would have taken two weeks, potentially two months, based on, oh, well, this person's out and then this person's in, and this is, oh, we're going to have to wait another few days to have this conversation. Nah, let's get it done now. Everyone's going to feel good. Let's get the conversation done now. If there's a decision to be made, let's sleep on it. Let's just 
like there's going to be a, a, a point person who's usually a product manager in, in our role, but sometimes there was a marketing, but there was someone who owned it and they mm. knew they owned it, right? And yeah. it was their job to kind of come back and say, is everyone cool with that? Cool. All right, let's go. I think, I think that just, I mean, just works. No, it's interesting, Scott. I think there's, there's three lessons I've, I've taken from there. One, um, that ability to establish the non-negotiables. As far as you're concerned, it's a non-negotiable. We will have re- review meetings. We, we will assess what we've done. So it's a non-negotiable. So putting those non-negotiables in and, and making sure everyone adheres to them. Uh, two, being clear about what the meeting is and why we need it and 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 not just have meetings for meetings sake. I think that becomes a bigger issue, the bigger the organization. Um, in my experience, there's been, I've been in so many big global businesses that have meetings, preparing for meetings, preparing for meetings. Um, you know, it used to be prepared yeah. for meetings, but the, I've, been in, I've been in a few recently where, you know, it's almost two or three meetings before the main meeting. And, 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 and that becomes cultural. People just get into that routine. And the third one. Sometimes it's hard, but yeah, you're right. And the third, the third lesson is that, and I was linking it to procrastination, but that ability to, if you, if you, if you've got an issue and you need to, and you've got an opportunity to resolve it by bringing someone in immediately, don't procrastinate and say, "Oh, we'll set a meeting up at some point in the future." Get them in and take action there and then, uh, because there's nothing quite yeah. like getting things resolved there and then. Because that that builds that momentum very very quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things rarely get better if you ignore them, right? And you know, whether that's interpersonal relationships, it's being able to have really honest, respectful conversations with people if they're not getting along. One of the the te- one of the core tenets, one of the things we used to talk about a lot, because it's important, was. Uh, API assume positive intent, and it's something that uh, uh, that was introduced to us, uh, you know, quite a few years ago now. Um, and assume positive intent really, honestly, changed the way I thought about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, what that means is, if you think someone's screwed you over or done some kind of slight <laughs> in some way, usually that's you making that up yourself. Mm-hmm. that's like for the most part there's some people out there who are just dickish and they're just <clears throat> they're, they're, they're not nice people and they get off on screwing with other people <clears throat> those are the people I'm not looking to hire number one um, so typically everyone on our teams would be like we have a clear vision of where we're going we all want the same thing yeah. it's not in my best interest to screw you over because we want the same thing we, we may be talking past each other. Yeah. We may uh, be not communicating well, which is usually what it comes down to because yeah. someone's having a stress reaction to something in their lives. It could be from work. It could be something. And the way they showed up on Zoom one day was a bit like dismissive and like didn't want to listen. And even the best teams, everyone has their days. I have my days when I'm just like, I'll come across poorly. Mm. Um well, what people know is, like, that's that's an outlier, yeah. and it's too positive. But deal with it too. And I'll have people like from across the organization, and we were quite flat, but I mean, we were and we weren't. Like, 
come up and be like, hey, you are okay today because you seem a bit off. I'm yeah. like, oh, thanks. Oh, yeah, I, I'm actually having a bit, bit of a rough day. Like, oh, what do I do? What do I done? And they're like, oh, no, it's not a big deal, but I could just see you're a little, little sniffy. It, you know, usually you'd be a little bit more understanding and like you're a little bit more like sniffy today. I'm like, yeah. I mean, and even coming from me, like ha- having folks on my team come to me and do that for me, it felt great. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. when does that happen? That doesn't happen a lot. So assuming positive intent, uh, uh, making sure that everyone understands that like our individual success is predicated on our collective success. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why it's not in their vested interest personally to screw you over. Yeah. And I I mean, I had this conversation, I've had this conversation many, many, many times over my career. It's like, why would they want to do that? Like, I think there's something there. So we actually did a thing. It's called the Berkman test, B-I-R-K-M-A-N. Um, and it's not necessarily a psychological test or, you know, like uh like Myers-Briggs or any of those kind of ones. It's a communication profile. And I was always very, very against it. I was hilariously not for it um, the longest time. And I thought, oh, I don't like doing this. It seems like intrusive and it just it just doesn't, like who, it doesn't actually really help. And a lot of them don't, right? Just knowing kind of your letters of whatever psychological test doesn't actually help you yeah. communicate with someone. What I found with Berkman and everyone who joined the company would do a Berkman. It wasn't, we didn't, it wasn't mandatory. Like if someone really pushed back, I wasn't going to absolutely force it, but I was like, trust me, it's going to be really interesting for you and probably your partner as well, if you have one uh, Mm -hmm. to do this thing. And really we use that and we actually had a consultant do a, an hour a month workshop, a communication bootcamp workshop where they would come in an hour every every month. It was an all hand thing. Everyone had to be there, and basically, we learned how to identify how we communicate, how to identify how others are communicating, seeing what their baselines are, being more aware of how you listen and how you take in at the time, and then work with people. Um, so, getting the foundational pieces of that and really helping the team develop. I'm really proud. Like a lot of folks made, um, I mean, everyone really made a, a lot of progress over the years that we were doing that. Um, it was um, it was great because they were getting better skills. So when they they choose to be a leader um, in management, quote unquote, or um, or just as they get more senior in their roles, they're going to have to have uh, more sophisticated conversations yeah. and have to understand how to communicate with someone to read them, to be read the situation and to react in a way that benefits everyone and not just, is just not a reaction. Um, and which is honestly one of the bigger problems that I've seen in leaders. They do all this, they read all these books, all this kind of stuff, but the foundational piece of communication still is, 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 weak, is, is fairly weak. I agree. I agree. And, and something you just said that made me, made me sort of remember um, a piece of work that I got, got involved in years and years and years ago. Uh, and it's, but it's something that I've tried to implement with, with the teams I've been leading since, um, is what was called then commitment-based management, uh, but that it was fundamentally, if I ask you to do something or, or we, we agree on a work schedule or, or, or an activity, 
Yeah. If you think you can do it, tell me, say, say you can. Yeah. And, and if you think you can, do, if it's going to take you four days, you know, we agree four days. But I don't want you to agree four days just because you think I want it in four days. I want you to tell me whether or not you can do it in four days. If it's going to take six days, tell me now. Because, but if, but if, if you agree to four days, you're committing to deliver it on four days. And I don't want you to commit to something that you don't feel that you can do. Uh, and, and it took a little bit of time for people to sort of get into that frame of mind. Uh, and it was down to that trust element. It was down to that open communication bit. Um, but once you did it, we stuff just flew through because people could have this real understanding that actually, if I tell you that I'm going to deliver something, Scott, you know, you can plan because 99.9% of the time, it will get delivered. There's always the exception. Shit happens. Yeah. But, you know, you could really plan as opposed to lots of plans having lots of contingencies in because we, we all know that things are not going to get delivered on time. It, it made it a lot, a lot smoother, a lot quicker. And yeah. part of that was bank communication. Part of that was understanding and listening to people when they say they're going to do it in four days, but actually something, you know, something inside says, you're not really committing to that, are you? You're not really. You know, it, it, something t- tells you that perhaps it's not going to be four days. Challenging them back and just in, in having that discussion, as you as you're just saying, critical. So there's there's multiple sides to this, where you have the potential for people to sandbag and add more time. Yeah. Um, what I've found is usually it take it usually goes faster than in most cases. Like it's probably a the old 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, things actually get done faster because there's less barriers or less friction for people to get things done. Um, 20% of the time, guess what? You screw it up. <laughs> you scrub the estimate. There's something you don't know. Um, usually it's just um, a lack of um, planning or deep planning. They haven't gone deep enough to find out all the all the factors that could actually go into to doing a task or initiative or whatever, building a product. Um, there's obviously scope creep that goes into that too. There's there's all these factors that come into it. But at the end of the day, moving fast is should be the goal. I would much rather say, hey, I want to do this thing. I think it's going to take four days. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really I mean I've researched enough that I can get started on it but I'm just going to go yeah. and we can think about this um, and certainly there's different things um, different projects at different levels that require a lot more planning and, and careful things but a lot of them don't yeah. a lot of these things are smaller things uh, and what I've seen is teams really get uh, break down it get, becomes a trudgery because they're planning the next planning meetings and it's all planning no thing because they're having meetings about something that really could have been the right people get, jumping on a quick call <laughs> this is what i'm doing documenting which is i think the other part of that supports all this is in terms of a foundational piece as much as communication is foundational even underneath that is documentation and making sure that people have something that they can actually point to that, that is in writing that all the stuff that we've talked about in this podcast 
is in that document. Yeah. Is there. So um, that is, you know, to me, really, really crucial. So documenting things enough and then trying it out, prototyping, testing, <coughs> excuse me, rapid prototyping. Um, and that doesn't, that's just not a product thing. That's not a software development thing. That's anything. Get out and try it. Yeah. See, see how it goes and then come back to me. If you said it was four days, it ends up being eight days and there's reasons, I'm good with that. Yeah. If there's reasons, because it was always going to take eight days. You just screwed up on the, the estimate. Absolutely. Scott, great conversation. Um, I've just noticed the time. We've, we've, it's always always a good sign that you've lose track of time. So uh, always a good sign. Um, we, we, we tend to finish these uh, um, podcasts off with a standard question. Um, and that question okay. is, if you, if you had to sort of boil down all your experience into one core takeaway today that we can leave the listeners with, what, what would that one takeaway be for you? Leadership, organisational change, transformation is predicated on one thing, and that's communication. Work on communication. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's as simple as that. I was I would I would have been surprised if you'd said anything else after the uh, the last 50 minutes of conversation. So uh, thank once again, thank you very much, Scott. Uh, it's been delightful to to have you on the pod and uh, good luck. Yes. Cheers, Scott. A great conversation, a typical no-nonsense Aussie style discussion. I'm sure you'll agree. I trust that you have found this episode insightful and my wish is that you have found at least one nugget that you can take away, consider and deploy into your life, both business and potentially personal. This show is sponsored by the Transformation Leaders Hub, an exclusive community for those working in change and transformation. If you wish to check out the community, please go to www.thetransformationleadershub.com and sign up today and join your peers from around the globe. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. It really does help us to share the message with a wider audience. Also, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or indeed thoughts on a future episode. My contact details are in the show notes. Once again, thank you for joining me today and I look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the near future. Bye for now.